0: Welcome to Slide Reliability, the show where we learn about SRE and observability one week at a time. I'm your host, Stephen Townsend. Welcome back to Slide Reliability. I'm Stephen Townsend, and this is the show where we learn about SRE and observability and now DevOps, one week or two weeks or whatever at a time. Today uh, I am joined by Amin Asani once again. Amin, how are you doing?
1: Doing great, Stephen. How are you?
0: I am good. I'm settling into the new year and my new role and uh, slowly getting into the rhythm of things. How about you? What are are you up to, man?
1: Oh, the same, the same. Uh, Well, uh, I'm in Florida right now um, as a nomad. As I mentioned the last time I was with you, um, I wander the United States So, I figured I would go to a place that is warm. So, I'm currently (laughs) in the Tampa, St. Pete area, uh, you know, working as a consultant still and and enjoying that lifestyle. And, uh, you know, half the time I'm in, you know, corporate apartments like I'm in right now, and half the time I'm at a campsite, you know, close to the beach. It's living the dream.
0: That's so cool. Have you got a favorite place that you've been to in the States or a place you've thought, wow, I could really, I could live here?
1: Yes. So, I've been in St. Petersburg. Um, on and off for the past month, because uh, that's like where a lot of the really awesome beaches are, and it's a totally different energy than than Tampa. I, I grew up in Tampa, and um, having that contrast and hanging out in a place that's more relaxed is is very refreshing to me. So, out, out of the two options, I think I would be looking at St. Pete if I were to choose where to live. Because I mean, I'm I'm wandering to find where I want to settle. So. It sounds like St. Pete is a lead, surprisingly, even though I grew up in the area.
0: That's cool. Uh, I yeah. haven't been to almost anywhere in the states, but I'd love to I'd love to do what you're doing and just travel around a bit at some point. We'll get we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Absolutely. And how about your work? What's been happening in your consulting work? What have you been working on?
1: Yes, absolutely. So Cheritomoto hit one year in January. I'm still at it. I have a long-term client um, and currently I've been working with them on basically toil management uh, and um, monitoring and metrics um, And incident response and all of the SRE fundamentals. It's fun doing it for a smaller company because you feel like a magician just going in there and teaching them all the new things. Uh, so that's been the, the, the general experience, but specifically lately I've been introducing a new piece of technology, um, to their stack called concourse, which is a CI CD system. Uh, they call it a open source continuous thing doer Hmm. and Um, the way that it is different from, let's say, Jenkins, because I think all of us have used or been aware of Jenkins in one way or another, is that all of the pipeline configurations are in YAML and tasks are executed locally within a container. And those containers can be configurable with whatever image you want and whatever commands you want inside. So you have this very flexible system to construct CI, CD pipelines, or jobs to execute in lieu of running scripts yourself.
0: Did you say it's open source as well?
1: Yes, it is. Um, there are numerous companies that are funding its uh, development, and they even have like a governance process, which I found uh, very refreshing. So that's one of the reasons why I selected uh, the use of concourse because i knew that it would be open source and you know it isn't like funded or by a sas or something where they can take control or you know extract money when it's not appropriate
0: <laughs> so just before we started recording i admitted something embarrassing uh, i up until very recently didn't really know what continuous integration or ci was i thought it was about making sure you're de- deploying code into Integrated environments with real endpoints or at least uh, mock endpoints or something like that. I didn't quite get it. So, can you explain again in simple words what is CI?
1: Right. CI, AKA continuous integration. Uh, I think the way that I would describe it to a layperson or like, you know, explain as like if me. I'm five years yep. old. Yeah. Yeah. You're not five years old, but like, yeah, I think, I think, I think. You get it. Um, So we have changes that we want to make to our code base, right? There is a branch or a state of the code base, which is always the, the latest set of changes. And those are the changes that are vetted and have been tested. So CI is the practice of making your batch of changes to the code base and testing and verifying that it is ready to be included in the latest version of the code base. And you're doing this process all the time. And ideally, you're using automation to continuously vet the state of the changes you're going to apply, as well as continuously vet the state of the latest version of the code base. So you want to know all the time that the code base that you're potentially shipping to prod is in a good state, that unit tests work, that you know, um, style and, and code linting is is good, that your integration tests or your unit tests are in a good state. So that way you always have a green uh, version of your code to push to prod.
0: Okay, so it's not just about getting it merged into the main or master branch, but all the way to production, getting that particular feature or change to production as well. Is that right?
1: Uh, I have to provide a subtle answer. So we're really just talking about the state of that code. Okay, so, like you want to make sure that the main branch is is, is green, all the tests are green, yep. but we haven't even really talked about um the act of pushing it to production now that's a completely different skill sure. um which is uh c d hmm. continuous delivery, so that's the practice of okay, I now have you know a main branch of my repository we're we're keeping it in a green state, but there's changes that are going into it all the time. How do I, in an automated fashion ideally push? those changes to prod and there's different tools and strategies and ways that you go about doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So on the CD side of things, uh, that is something that been on my, on my mind recently. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of organizations uh, have, especially non tech organizations, not traditionally tech ones have quite rigid controls in place about getting from, even for some of the non prod environments, like getting to a pre-production environment, maybe, or, a uh, UAT environment have a lot of controls and approvals and processes and things like change advisory boards to get it to production. And, you know, which I, from what I oh, read, yes. we shouldn't do that. It doesn't help in any way. But anyway, uh, have you ever seen a company go from that kind of manual approval process uh, where there's a lot of people involved and a lot of control uh, and governance to embracing or enabling? automated flow or semi-automated flow through to production? And how, how do we even begin to explain to, say, a non-technical uh, stakeholder group or some executives that this this is a worthwhile thing to do and it's not going to introduce unnecessary risk?
1: Wow, what a question. Um, that could take an entire episode to answer because there's a <laughs> lot, there is a, there is a ton of, of material that we can go over. So, To speak to my personal experience a couple of things one uh, As you know, I, I previously worked for meta and the team that I was a production engineer on was one of the teams was the CD solution for the company so that was the opportunity for me to see the ideal state where your code is being, you know, there's build artifacts being built all the time and they're going out to prod all the time and you get automatic reverts if health, it checks fail and so on and so on and so on. So I saw, you know, in, in the time that I worked on that team, the team was called Conveyor. I think I can publicly say that because there's like papers and stuff about it. But there, I, I, I had a glimpse of what the future for, for many, many companies would be, or at least the ideal state, because that's uh-huh. really cool, right? Uh-huh. Like planetary scale CD system. Um, Now, as for, you know, my other experiences, like starting from the other side. um, So when I was spending time working at Acquia as as an operations person and as an SRE and SRE manager and so on, there was a period of time where a cab was introduced and the cab was introduced as a uh, reaction to a big incident. And the leadership wanted pretty tight controls over what was hitting production and i was in the an enviable task of uh launching and running the cab. Wow! so yes it was it was a pretty a pretty challenging time um and my role or at least my personal mission uh while i was doing that was how do we get out of it mm-hmm. and you know cabs are are they tend to be a a function or a uh, an artifact of let's say itil which is a yeah. four-letter a four-letter word for you know an it process that's i call it a four-letter word because it is kind of like a curse in my in my book but it's a it's a it's a, it's a yeah it's a, I agree. yeah it's a, it's a it's a it's a change control process and actually just a way to operate services where okay for large organizations where they're trying to manage risk explicitly okay, I can understand the appeal. um, But, you know, for us, SRE and DevOps practitioners, since you're bringing that scope into your podcast now, um, it it can actually slow down flow, uh, increase, you know, lead time of changes to production, which is, of course, not a good thing. So uh, have I, did I see, you know, the full transformation from CAB to, you know, um, Elysium? Uh, no but i i do i do remember taking part in creating the idea of a standard change which is idle language for what are the changes that we're making to production that we know are safe and being able to give engineering teams the means to be able to clearly demonstrate that oh yeah this is a standard change um right it is a functional change but we do know what the the change does we understand what success means we understand what failure means we know how to roll back and we're shipping these things a lot we have a a, a good track record of success we know what to do if things fail and so creating a a, a larger encompassing scope of the standard change is how you're able to navigate itil in, in, in a way where the things that you do need to stop and talk about you do but the things that are like business as usual you you are not losing as much velocity.
0: Yeah, the standard change, I've heard about that before, uh, and it makes sense to me. Yeah, anything which follows a sort of business as usual low risk pattern. But I was wondering with the, the cab at Acquia, who, who were the stakeholders involved? Who were the decision makers? And did they have the technical uh, knowledge to make informed decisions?
1: Yeah, good question. I, I think it's on the border between technical and non-technical. I, I think what you end up with is people that know how to speak the language and also have understanding of the business context, but not always technical. So from what I remember, the way that it worked is that, you know, the engineer or in some cases, the product manager would go to the cab and say, okay, I have this change that I'm going to be, that I propose to submit the prod. And the, the folks that are on the board that are, you know providing feedback asking questions would consist of myself but let's put myself aside cuz I'm an outlier the the head of operations right, right. who who was a, a senior director at the time um i think he was like the lorax he was speaking for the trees and just making sure that we're doing all of the things that we 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 should do when we're doing a a a change to production like we do have monitoring we do know um what the change does we do know how to measure success all those things i mentioned earlier we're just making sure that that due diligence has been been done but yeah you know, there are also sometimes there are engineering VPs and the reason why that might sometimes happen or or like senior product people that might sometimes happen is if there's there's a discussion around the the nature of the risk or the acceptance of the risk engineering managers were were present as well uh, sometimes to speak on on SWE's behalf if, if if they need help articulating that so i think to answer your question there are moments where people that attend the cab or preside over the cab aren't fully technical day-to-day, but of course they are required to at least understand the, the business impacts of the changes hmm. or at least be able to answer general questions about the technical um, aspects of them.
0: Yeah, I guess something else I'm really interested in with CICD, cd seems weird It's become the theme of this episode, is observability of CI C D. So you, you obviously get to a point where if you build enough automation and it's your business depends on it to get features from A to A to B, uh, to get it flow through a value. It's like your your key value stream at a certain point. Have you got much experience or have you seen or any advice around making that I guess the automation part of it uh, observable, visible, making sure it's healthy. Like what 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 do you monitor? What do you look at? And, and how do you how do you treat that as opposed to the state of a, a microservice or a, 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 a traditional system?
1: I, I think that we have to consider CI automation, even if we're just talking about a Jenkins box. I, I think it's important that we are saying that, look, it is an important part of the value stream, like you just said. And so there are certain aspects of it that we do need to monitor. And I would be looking at it as if, you know i put my sre hat on i'm going to be looking at it as if it were a production service because again it is a key part of the of the value stream so i would be thinking okay is it is a ci cd service up um in terms of capacity planning are we or you know uh, utilization saturation errors are we you know maxing out the resources on this machine do we know that the, the pipelines that we've configured for it have they run recently So actually a concourse doesn't have native monitoring to track the last time that a job got triggered. Mm. Um, not, not, Not easily queryable. So I had to add some additional metrics using the Prometheus push gateway, just to be able to say, yes, this thing got triggered, you know, 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago. And if I don't see it triggered for more than an hour, I'm gonna throw an alert because I know that I depend on this automation to run. So I'm just going to keep an eye on the last time it was triggered. Also, in terms of your pipelines, like you want to make sure that they're successful. So, you know, taking a taking a step uh, uh, back from, you know, just plain CI/CD, but just task execution. Like yes, you want to make sure that your scheduled tasks, like you know, basically cron jobs, glorified cron jobs, that they are running successfully and consistently. So, um, you care also about latency. You might find that. Over time the the latency of or you know the execution time of your tasks is monotonically increasing Maybe it's because it's dependent on a data set that's monotonically increasing So those are things you want to pay attention to and then of course, you know for back back to the whole CI concept you definitely want to be actively monitoring and being um, proactive in investigating failures of, of your pipeline, especially the pipeline that is tracking you know the the, the main or, or, or formerly known as master branch because you want to keep that green at all times. Mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen teams that have been I guess complacent in responding to issues with you know the state of the main branch and it bites them in the butt because they end up dealing with a lot of toil trying to get main into into a healthy state so that way they have a build artifact that they can then push to prod. So all of those things are are are, are really, really important, but I think in the in you know from like the devops point of view, making sure that your main branch is green, like breaking the build you know we 're still making sure we don 't break the build mm. um, and and when that happens it, it it might as well be an alert, and the engineering team should 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 be alerted to 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 respond to it because right now your your uh, value stream has been interrupted
0: you You and I are going to chat to Sebastian Veats and have a bit of a panel discussion in the near future, and one of the things I wanted to talk about is reliability of uh, non-prod environments. So I I don't don't want to cover that too much today, but I did have a conversation with someone Mm -hmm. at work recently, a principal engineer, uh, who was talking about this idea that we shouldn't, you know, by the time you deploy your code to some environment that's outside of your workstation, uh, the the quality of that should already be thoroughly validated. We shouldn't be using these environments that we go and deploy to, to, to prove that our code works. They should already be done, and I think that's a, a mindset shift for some teams and some people, where they think I write the code, I deployed, and then someone will test it, <laughs> or or test it there, you know. <laughs> and at that point, it's yeah. starting to impact people, and it costs money to have these environments. If you're, you know, even if you're spinning them up on demand,
1: that is actually a subject of debate. Um, really, because you have, well, sure. I, I think I think what I'm talking about really is is testing in production. Um, right. So there, there is the, the, the school of thought that, oh, you should have a good CI system, but you should be continuously pushing your changes to prod and you should be having, you know, very high, uh, signal to noise in terms of your observability. And if you're having problems, you should be able to revert those changes. I think that would be probably the, the, I I could say that with some confidence that that is like the perspective of like charity, the charity majors of the world test and prod is, is, is her mantra. And hmm. and there and and the reason and the reason why that is you know a a very tempting. <laughs> I'm 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 not I'm not demonizing or, or saying that's a bad idea, but I think the reason why such a decision would be very tempting is that there there's going to be such a, a a difference between your test environment quote unquote and production because production is where the actual load is going to. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to really know what's going on, um, with your code unless you have it in prod. So having you know, fast feedback, like a really tight feedback loop, you know, being able to observe quickly, being able to make changes to prod quickly, you know, removes the necessity of you being able to have like a dev stage prod process.
0: I guess it also comes down to the, the, maybe maybe the core lesson from the Phoenix project, uh, which is that the smaller the batch of change that you're releasing, the lower the risk as well. So if you're continually pushing to production, the risk is relatively low you know, provided you're surrounding it with things like, like you said, being able to roll back rapidly, the right observability, all of the pre-checks through all of your automation beforehand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Single piece flow, um, I think, is the is, is, would be the ideal state. Because you're right, like the, the context or the scope of the change that is hitting production is so small and easy to reason about that you have an understanding of what risk each change to prod will be this kind of goes back to the whole standard change thing earlier um so yeah that all makes sense and again like uh flow feedback experimentation yeah the practice of of of, of having those, those those tools in place you know, observability in place the ability to revert in place it, it is a a, a software aided three ways of devops i can i can i can see the parallels mm.
0: the last thing around CI CD that i wanted to cover is and uh, this is maybe it's just me but i have this Kind of, mm, when I hear the word CI, CD, I kind of cringe a little bit because I've worked and seen so many teams who are so tool-focused. They're just focused on implementing these tools, whether it's Jenkins or GitHub Actions or whatever it is. Whereas shouldn't that just be the tool that's used to implement the CI or the CD bit? And it's the thinking around that which needs to happen as well or is maybe more important than the tool that we use. I don't know. That's just uh, my own experience throughout my career as I've seen a lot of tools being thrown up that just automate a bunch of stuff. But it's like, well, but is this a robust process that we can trust and is it getting value for me to be? And, you know, those things aren't necessarily in place.
1: Right. I I think that it is very important for us to know what what our goals are, what our success metrics are, right? I'm sure... The, the folks at Dora would, would, would give us a, a whole list of metrics that would be very useful for this sort of thing. And I think that Dora, you know, would be a good start. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, we shouldn't choose tools just because, you know, Hacker News uh, touted them, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's important for us to answer the question, what is the business impact of us introducing, you know, a particular tool or process to, uh, to our value stream and if you're able to demonstrate that. Oh, yeah, we're saving You know a, a an FTE or two FTEs worth of time because we've introduced this tool and we spent, you know a few weeks of work building it, okay well, you're able to Be able to, to make the the business decision that that is a good trade of that initial investment mm-hmm. I, I think that for anything whether you're writing a feature or, or introducing a, a CI tool set you need to be able to articulate those uh, benefits. And then once implementing them, be able to prove them and and be brave enough to to go back to the old thing if you're not able to demonstrate the value.
0: Yeah, I, I remember, uh, I must have been six or seven years ago at this point, working on a project and there was a team who had created pipelines to stand up, uh, to deploy. So there was a deployment pipeline but we should also stand up the infrastructure as well like would spin up an environment and deploy the code into it and this thing okay. would take two to three hours and mm. it would fail three quarters of the time and you have to start the process again <laughs> and it was so frustrating it was like great you've got some automation but the outcome isn't there like at that time it was like i need to do a performance test and i've wasted half my day trying to run this thing which failed like, so the outcome isn't isn't happening you know
1: i mean if you're looking at it like a, like a production system right okay you have a 25% reliability system and your requests have a latency of 3 hours that's not a great system to run um, that's a problem maybe we shouldn't you know use it uh, so like I, th- I, think, I think the SRE adages or the SRE models of thinking apply um, to you know our, 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 our choice of tools and how we uh, test and, and, and deploy our code
0: thank you so much, Amin, for coming in and, and chatting to us today. We actually planned to have that panel discussion today, but uh, Sebastian got called away after, on an emergency, which is the kind of thing that happens when you're an SRE. So, mm-hmm, <laughs> that's that's, that's an SRE. So okay. we'll, we'll be catching up again real soon. Um, yeah,
1: thanks. Glad to, ha- uh, glad to have you have me.
0: This episode was sponsored by Squared up. Squared up. combines your data with awesome dashboards, analytics, health roll-ups, and notifications into a unified observability portal. Using a data mesh architecture, SquidUp is a beautifully simple way to get instant access to the insights that matter whenever you need them. If you want to know more, head over to squidup.com to sign up for your free account. Thanks once again, Amin, for coming on the show, and thank you everyone for tuning in, and I will see you all next time.